This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. Brilliant. Thank you, Howard. Uh, It really is such a pleasure to be here. We've kind of had a relationship with you guys, um, but without actually being here uh, for a couple of years now. So uh, Andy mentioned it earlier, but we've we've known the Allens and the Kellets for a long time now. And we've been praying for you and we pray for you as a church, as one of the advanced churches here in the UK. We're regularly praying for you and I've met some of you before at advanced conferences and things as well. So such a pleasure to actually be here. Um, But I just want to sort of introduce this morning's preach by telling you about it again, this prophetic word that came to us. So in November 2016, uh, we had a team that came down from King's Arms in Bedford and just helped us out with the prophetic. So we had an evening on the Sunday evening and God just came and spoke to people. There was pictures, uh, there was words, and people were encouraged and built up. It's one of those nights where you go, oh, that's what the prophetic's supposed to do. Yes. It's supposed to build us up as a church. And so the next morning, we met again as leaders. And so we had a leadership team there all together. And this team uh, were praying for us and bringing some prophetic words. Unfortunately, Lindsay couldn't be there. Um, but it came around to praying for me. And the guys laid hands on, began to pray. And to be honest, at the beginning, it was kind of like, oh, that's nice. That's a nice little encouragement. Um, You know, nice that people are praying for me, saying nice things. But there was nothing where I was like, oh, this is going to change my life forever. This is amazing. Um, There was no kind of profound moments like that. Encouraging, but that was about it at that stage. And then suddenly, one of the guys just turned to me and and said, quite simply, God is not done with you in Scotland yet. Mm. And in that moment, God just did something in my heart. He turned me into this blabbering, bubbling wreck. And honestly, for about half an hour, I'm just in tears, like, as if God is just changing my heart for Scotland, just seeing Scotland for what he sees it as, and especially for Glasgow. And so I knew in that moment that we were going to go and plant a church in Glasgow. I knew it. But although it happened in a moment, there was a whole process that had to happen after that. Not least trying to persuade Lindsay that I hadn't gone totally mad. <laughs> and so I go home, I'm chatting to Lindsay about it, and then we chat to the elders about it. We, me and Matt Hosier have long conversations about it. I chat to wise guys in um, advance, uh, guys like Howard, and talk things through with them. We pray a lot. Uh, we open the Bible, and we look, is this what God wants us to do? There's a real process that's going on. And then eventually, about seven months ago, we're ready to say to the church, yep, this is what God wants us to do. We found out in that moment that we were going to go and plant a church. I knew in my heart in that moment, but this process is still going on. And actually, I hope this process keeps going well on until after I die. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean that the gospel 
should be this process that goes on and on and on where we're making disciples who make 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 disciples. And so Glasgow Grace, my prayer, it isn't, isn't just that Glasgow Grace is this flourishing church when we're there, but beyond that, for generations, it would be a flourishing church that sends out more churches, that multiplies, that sees God's word go and go and go and go again. That is our prayer. That's what we want to see. And actually, lots of life is like that, isn't it? I can't, there's a kind of moment and then a process that takes place. Uh, when I was at university, I took on a job as a barman. And uh, I remember my first night, I got my t-shirt, said bar staff on the back. Felt pretty cool, felt good. Got on the bar, it was a really busy night. And honestly, I don't think I served a pint that had less head than it did body. It was terrible. I was a barman in that moment that I put the t-shirt on or in the moment that I got the job, but it was a process before I became any good. In fact, I probably only got to kind of mediocre. But there was a process that took place. And lots of life is like that. And the gospel is like that too. It's a moment and a process. We hear the gospel, this good news about Jesus, and it's planted in our hearts and it transforms us in a moment. But then there is this continued transformation that takes place. The gospel is continually applied to us as we look to be more like Jesus, as we look to see the gospel applied to our lives and those around us. So today we're looking at the letter uh, that Paul the Apostle sends to the Colossians. Now, we're going to look at uh, chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, but really throughout the whole book, he's trying to persuade these guys to not forget what is most important, the gospel. Keep going back to Jesus. Keep running back to Jesus. That is the main deal. That is what we need to keep going back to. Let's never bore of the gospel. You never graduate from the gospel. Keep going back to the gospel. There is a process of a lifetime of applying the gospel. Of applying the gospel. It's a moment and it's a process. So we're going to see three things. The first thing is that the gospel is like a seed planted in our hearts. Changes us in a moment. But it's also like a tree, a process where we grow deep roots and we start to grow into strong, healthy trees. And the third thing is it's actually a bit like a forest because we're not supposed to do this alone. Transformation in our lives takes place as we gather together as a gospel community, as the gospel overflows out of one another and to one another. So let me read Colossians 2. Verses 6 and 7. So do turn there if you have a Bible with you. It says this. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. The gospel is a seed. It's planted in our hearts in a moment in a moment, we believe and we are changed. Um, I think I have a picture of Rob. This here is Rob being baptized. And uh, Rob has an incredible testimony. Now, you hear these stories, don't you, of how people are transformed by the gospel. And they're just so encouraging. So let me just share this one with you. Rob uh, appeared at our church about eight months ago now. And Rob had been going through a really hard time. Uh, he'd been with a, a long-term girlfriend uh, for a while. And uh, things had just started to get a bit rocky. And actually, financially, he was in a really bad place. He got really desperate 
Um, there was a few lies that were in there as well, and she didn't know the full extent as to what was going on. But then uh, he just had this desperate moment in his front room, and he gets down on his knees. He's never been involved with church before in his life, and he just cries out to God. Just knew that that's what he needed to do. He cried out to God, God, if you're there, help me. And he said it was as if God then just told him, I want you to go to the church on the corner. And so that next Sunday, he turns up to church, arrives uh, with us at Gateway, and Matt's preaching that week. During the sermon, he hears the word of God, the gospel proclaimed, and his heart is changed in a moment. And now he's been baptized. He's back together with his girlfriend. It's now his fiance. They're getting married in the summer. And God is completely transforming, not just his life, but his whole family's life. It is absolutely incredible just to watch God at work in their lives. And actually, we've all got a story like that. Any of us who know Jesus have a story like that. Whether it's as dramatic as that or not, mine wasn't quite so dramatic. I fancied a girl. So I went along to church, 14 years old. And um, eventually she realized I was just kind of playing a game to try and get near her. Uh, So she said, well, forget that. Uh, But I kept going, almost out of spite, or maybe a a bit of pride. I didn't want to, you know, let her know that it was all about her. Kept going, kept going, kept going. Then she said, oh, I'm going to this camp. Uh, Why don't you come with us? Great, let's go to the camp. So I went to this summer camp, week-long camp, and uh, she doesn't turn up. Brilliant. So here I am, stuck at this Christian camp. Absolute nightmare. Um, But actually what happened was each night they told us a little bit about the story of Jesus. And each night it was as if God was speaking right into my heart. By the last night I'd given my life to Jesus and I was transformed forever. Not not the most dramatic story. Not a a crazy story of, of addiction or anything else that's happened in my life and then suddenly it's all completely turned around. Just a kid who liked a girl. And maybe that's the same for you. But actually in God's story, that is just as important. He wants all of us. He wants all of us. He loves all of us. However he's done it in your life, let's celebrate that and remember it. In a moment, we went from spiritual orphans to sons and daughters. In a moment, we went from guilty to justified. In a moment, we went from ashamed to honored. In a moment, we went from enemies of God to friends of God. In a moment, we went from failure to victory, from blindness to sight, from death to life. He has transformed us. He has made us a new creation. He has given us life, and it's all because of Jesus. It is the gospel that that these Colossian believers had already heard and believed through the local church planter Epaphras. And now Paul is saying, now that Epaphras is in prison and Paul is in, in prison and Philemon has kind of stepped up as a leader, he's saying, look, keep remembering. Keep going back to the gospel. Keep remembering what God has done for you. The gospel is good news. It's good news to Poole. It's good news to Cheltenham. It's good news to Brent. It's good news to Glasgow. Yeah. It's good news to this world. Yeah. It is yeah. the best news on planet Earth. And as Christians, we need to continually remind ourselves of that. And now we have a responsibility to proclaim it, to speak it. Now it's really tempting, isn't it, to not use words. 
It's really tempting to not tell people the truth, even though that is clearly the most loving thing we can do. We possess something that can change people's eternity forever for their good. And yet we're still a little reluctant to share it. And that's becoming an increasing challenge for us. It's not socially accepted. Are we willing to be rejected like Paul was and like Epaphras was? And like these Colossian believers would have been? Are we willing to do that? Do we see the gravity of the situation? That people need Jesus desperately and we have what they need. The gospel. Let's share the gospel. Let's look for every opportunity. Now, let me be totally transparent with you. It's not always going to be easy. Okay? We were at uh, an ACPC course uh, back in, was it October? November? I don't know which one you're talking about. The last one. Recently. And, <laughs> and, and we were having a great time. It was, uh, there was some incredible teaching. We all felt really encouraged. And uh, so we went out in the evening. And England were playing Germany. And um, it was really boring. It was a nil-nil draw. It not, they didn't look like scoring all night. It was just one of those nights. But we were encouraged. And so I was feeling a bit, you know, excitable. Thinking, right, I'm going to share the gospel with someone. And so we're sat in this London pub. A guy wanders past. And I see my opportunity. Okay, I'm going to try and get a little bit of banter with this guy. And then I'm going to tell him the gospel. Here we go. <laughs> And I begin to try and interact with him. He doesn't want to talk about the gospel. He wants to fight me because I'm from Glasgow. And so for about half an hour, we're just trying to persuade him not to beat me up. <laughs> sometimes it's going to go really well, and sometimes it's going to go pretty bad, okay? But that's okay. That's okay. That night when I went to sleep, I felt like God was saying, good, now go again. Give it another go. We have to be resilient. We have to keep going, keep trying, keep going with the gospel just so that some might be saved. And I believe God will honor that in us and we will see people saved. Not only is the gospel like a seed, but it's also like a tree. Paul says in verse 6, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. And then earlier in 123, he says, continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Paul pleads, continue. Do not move from the gospel. He is desperate that this little church plant in the middle of nowhere, in a tiny town, remains firm in the gospel, that they do not receive another teaching, but always consistently go back to grace, to the gospel. Christianity is not about being saved in a moment and then trying really hard to be a good person. Christianity is about being saved by the gospel and then continuing in the gospel. Be saved by grace, this free gift that Jesus has won for you, and then keep going by grace, by his strength, by his power. You cannot do this, okay? We need to get that in our heads. We can't do this, but oh, he can. He can. And by the gospel, by grace, we can do it. That's why we need to keep proclaiming it. 
not just to others, but also to ourselves, continually reminding ourselves of the gospel. You don't graduate from the gospel. The gospel is always the center point of our faith. The gospel is not only a moment, it's a lifelong process for Christian growth. The process of the gospel says things like this. I will be faithful as I continue to receive God's faithfulness for me. It says, I will increasingly love the people around me as I'm increasingly experiencing the love of God. I will serve because I look to the cross and see that Jesus has served me. It says, I will be increasingly forgiving as I realize how much God has forgiven me. I will be generous with my time and my money as I continue to receive the lavish gifts that he loves to pour out upon us. It says, I will increasingly use my time and my effort because Jesus was willing to leave his heavenly throne and spend 33 years on earth and die in my place. The gospel is not just for a moment. We've got to continually apply it to our everyday lives. And then we will start to see ourselves grow and grow and grow and grow. I had a friend in Glasgow who was struggling with comfort eating. Um, He was one of those guys who, when he was feeling down, he'd uh, head to the freezer, get a big tub of ice cream, and just just munch through it. Or he'd get some donuts, uh, a bag of donuts, and he'd just go for it. The whole bag would just be gone if he was feeling a bit down. So he came to me and he said, look, Ian, I could do with your help. I was doing a bit of training at the time. And so I said, yeah, come along, come to the gym with me. We'll, you know, we'll get disciplined. We'll, we'll go most days. We'll sort, we'll sort this out. No problem. Come on. And so to begin with, it's going really well, really well. He's starting to lose some weight. He's starting to feel better about himself. But then after a couple of weeks, actually he has a, a bit of a wobble. And so he goes and he um, ends up scoffing his face on something, misses a gym session. And he gets really down, really down. And he doesn't want to do it again, doesn't want to continue. So I persuade him, come on, let's do it again. And this kind of cycle just kept going for a while. And then eventually just kind of phased out. But we still kept talking. And actually, in the end, he did get consistent. And he did get much better in his disciplines. But the reason he got better was not because he realized that he had to do all this exercise and healthy eating, it's because he realized Jesus is the bread of life. You see, he got to the root of his sin. The root of his sin wasn't his greed or his gluttony. The root of his sin is that he wasn't being satisfied in Jesus. He wasn't being satisfied in the gospel. It wasn't enough for him. So he kept going back to his vice. And he just did this big swing, big pendulum swing oh, I'm going really well because I'm so disciplined today. Oh, but today is awful. Oh, I can't handle it. And instead, he found that Jesus is the bread of life and that he can satisfy him. And now he's actually engaged now. He just got engaged last week and doing really well. And it's because he's being satisfied in Jesus alone. One of the greatest things about living in Poole is that it's only a couple of hours away from London. And so um, we can jump on the train just outside our house, get into London really quickly. And one day we decided that uh, we would go up to London. Uh, Annabelle and I would go up to London with Lindsay because Lindsay was seeing some friends there. 
and uh, Annabelle and I would go and have a, a daddy-daughter day together. So we uh, headed uh, up to the Natural History Museum, and um, she probably didn't have a clue what was going on, but I enjoyed it. And uh, she's, she, we're kind of walking down the halls and looking at all this different amazing artifacts and different things that we could see. And she's pointing, going, bah, 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 and uh, trying to say hi to everyone. Uh, and then eventually we get into the Hintze Hall. I think that's how you pronounce it. Hintze Hall? Let's go with Hintze Hall. And we're in this, this hall, and if you've, if you've been to the Natural History Museum, you'll know where this hall is, because that's where the, the giant whale skeleton is. It's enormous. And so we're just looking up at it, like, totally amazed. But then I noticed something up above the steps on the far end of the hall, and so we decided to go and check that out. We wander up the stairs, and it's this giant disc. And suddenly I realized that this giant disc is actually a tree. It's a tree that was felled in 1883 in California, and at the time was over 110 meters tall. Absolutely enormous. Apparently they're called giant sequoias. And um, I had no idea that trees could be that big. I mean, that is enormous, isn't it? I could not get over it. And actually, as I was preparing today, for today, I, I got a sense from God that there's a lot of us in this room who just didn't even know that it was possible for us to be big, healthy, spiritual trees. For us to grow into spiritual giants. Just like that tree is an absolute giant, if you can only hear one thing from me today, you only remember one thing while you're watching the England game later on, I want you to remember this. You can be a spiritual giant. You can be a spiritual giant. Here's the truth. We all have that potential. We need to stop looking at ourselves and stop comparing ourselves to people around us and instead fix our eyes on Jesus and the gospel. If we do that, we will grow deep roots and bit by bit we will grow and we will be these giant, strong trees in him. I do not believe that there is anyone in here who has reached their limit. You have not reached your spiritual limit. God has great plans for you. And the way in which you can claim those, lay hold of those, is to continually apply the gospel to yourself. Continually remind yourself of what Jesus has done for you. The gospel is a moment, a seed, but it is also a process. And it's a growing tree. Giant healthy trees, though, aren't found exposed and alone in the middle of nowhere. They exist in flourishing forests. The gospel is like a forest. There is a sequence to Paul's language in the letter here, isn't there? He says that we receive the gospel, and then we grow in the gospel. We, we grow roots and strengthen. And then he says that we overflow with thankfulness. At the end of Acts 1, we read that 3,000 people have their moment in Christ. They all come to faith at once. And then by the beginning of chapter 2, we see gospel life is immediately established. They didn't become isolated Christians for a time and then eventually organize themselves. They immediately started to meet together. They met together in the temple courts. 
and life began to flourish. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century, said this on that passage, life expresses itself. When the church is born and it meets together, life expresses itself. The gospel planted in people's hearts in a moment leads to a community expression of gospel life. Like trees and healthy forests, the gospel is continually multiplying and reproducing life. Paul is so keen for the Colossians to know that life multiplies and flourishes in community. It's not for us to go and uh, have our own private faith over here, away from everyone. We are designed, we are made to reflect the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to be this united community in God. Like trees and healthy forests, we are called to do this together. Glasgow City Emblem has a big oak tree right in the middle of it. And underneath is the motto, and it used to say, let Glasgow flourish by the preaching of thy word and the praising of thy name. But it now says, let Glasgow flourish. Ah, what a mistake. Glasgow will not truly flourish unless you have the second part. We need the gospel. That is what will truly transform us as people. That was what will truly transform our villages, our towns, our cities. That's what will truly transform Cheltenham. Dream big dreams. Begin to imagine that this place is too small for you. Fill this place because you're constantly sharing the gospel, applying the gospel to your own lives, and people are seeing that. They're saying, oh, that's beautiful. That is a much better way than any other way. We need, we need to constantly be turning to one another to see that overflowing of thankfulness, that overflowing of grace, of Jesus living in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Now, unfortunately, Glasgow only has about 1.5% of people attending a gospel-centered church right now. But our dream, our vision, our hope, our prayer is that that would dramatically change in the years to come. And I believe in a God who can do that. And I believe that in a God who can do that in Chilton. So let's be praying together, getting together to pray for those things and be a community that shows off the gospel time and time again to the whole of Cheltenham. That's why Howard and the guys here constantly get up and share the gospel. Every week you'll hear about Jesus here. I know that. I don't even need to have come here every Sunday because I know these guys. I know they're constantly sharing the gospel. I know that in your kids' ministry, your kids are learning about Jesus. I know that when you sing worship songs, you sing worship songs that reflect the gospel, that reflect this good news about Jesus. It's deliberate. And it's great that it's deliberate. And we have a responsibility to be deliberate in our own lives, not just in church. Be completely deliberate with everything you do about grace. Make sure grace is at the heart of it. Grace, 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 grace. Never stop talking about grace. To be deeply rooted, to be a spiritual giant, you're going to need to surround yourselves with other trees. Saplings, big spiritual giants, all kinds of trees. Because that's the way God's designed it. That we build one another up as we overflow with thankfulness. 
Paul also, Paul also helps to see that partnership isn't just local. It's also a worldwide mission. So Paul is in chains. Epaphras is in chains. Philemon is now the leader of that church or is leading that church with others. And their relationship, the way in which they interact with one another is key to their growth. He's really clear about that. Now, I'm sure you're all aware that we belong to Advance, which is the movement of churches that we are a part of. And the tagline is planting and strengthening churches. That is basically what I'm saying. This whole sermon here is basically saying that. We need to plant and strengthen churches because the gospel flourishes in forests. It flourishes in local church. It flourishes when we're together praising his name, preaching his word, responding to his love, and displaying the gospel to our communities. It's such a comfort to me that we do have friends like the Allens and the Kellets, and we have friends like you guys who we can pray for at Gateway, but also in five weeks, we'll immediately begin praying for you guys in Glasgow. And my heart is that we'd see more and more churches doing that, that we'd multiply, keep multiplying. These guys going to Brent, they're going to need your support and your love. In the same way that uh, Paul and Epaphras are helping Philemon, you're going to have to help these guys as they establish this new church in Wembley. So as they go, can I encourage you, as somebody who's going, and I kind of know a little bit about what that feels like, can I encourage you that you just keep praying for them, you keep reminding them of the gospel, that you visit them, that you maybe even think about supporting them financially? Would you do that? We're in this together. We are in this together. And so we need to continually be seeing churches multiplying all across this land. Let's see the UK restored and restored to a much fuller extent than before with gospel-centered preaching in our churches and our churches filling with many people who are being transformed by it. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.